It's bad ink, Jam, but not as we know it. This is bad This is Bashcast, episode number... One, seven, four. It is 16 minutes past 34pm on Friday the 18th of June This afternoon's Bashcast. Have a look at the uh, first week, first week of the Euros. A little bit of a chat of the England lineup and the starting forwards that I should have covered last week. Some steamers, some game centre stuff, some FGS. Ascot is into day five, so let's have a look at how we're doing there. Some quick singles betting on the horses. And some lucky 15s. As I do this intro literally about two minutes ago, I had a big winner, so I'm in a good mood. I think I was a little bit grumpy throughout this bashcast because uh, I, I was losing hand over fist in the red in the red all the way through this afternoon whilst recording the bashcast. And now I've just had a big winner to put myself in the green for the day, and I'm a lot cheerier during the intro than I am during the bashcast. Watch out for that, watch out for the grumpiness. about the golf betting on it on the exchange as we hit another winner with Jonathan Caldwell in the mixed event in Scandinavia. And finally we finish off with a big question mark. That's because I haven't recorded the last segment yet and I don't know what it is. But how exciting to find out. And more coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. Mister, your eyes are full of hesitation. Sure makes me wonder if you know what you're looking for. Um, baby, I want to keep my reputation. 
I'm a sensation. You try me once, you'll beg for more. Oh, oh, yes, sir. I can boogie, but I need a certain song. I can boogie, boogie woogie, all night long. Dong, 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 dong. Oh, yes, sir. I can boogie, if you stay it can't go wrong I can boogie, boogie woogie, all night long It is 3 hours and 20 minutes until England Scotland tonight and it is 18 minutes until I open a bottle of wine in preparation Hey, so we are well into second week of the Euros right now. France are really impressed. One player is impressed. I'll come to him in a little bit. France are into uh, 5.0. England the same as they were pre-tournament, despite that 1-0 uh, win against Croatia, which was 8.2. Uh, in the background, Sweden versus Slovakia. Um, I've got, I'm on Hamzik to score first in this match as the biggest steamer in the game let's just pick him up on flash scores does he have any chances because I haven't been watching it because I've been setting this thing up commentary no he hasn't had any chances oh he has oh no he's sw oh brilliant he's on corners that's good he's had two corners oh well maybe he could score from one of those um, but France really look, look like out of everybody France look very impressive I'm not surprised they're into 4.9 um, before the tournament started, I wanted to talk about this, the last Bashcast, because it was an old game. This is back on the 2nd of June, right? This was the England friendly against um, Austria. And they announced the lineups, and you look at the lineups, uh, and England are playing the 4 4 bloody 2. No, they're not. They're playing the 4 3 3, is what they're playing. Uh, across the middle, Grealish. Rice, Bellingham, Grealish, really difficult for me tonight against Scotland, by the way. Oh, yes, sir. I can boogie, boogie woogie, um, which we're not going to win. Looking at the DD on that game tonight, I didn't expect to see anybody. It's England versus Scotland. Well, Fred had top price 7-1 to one on Grealish. Um... The only, a, a, a tiny amount has been traded at 7.8. 7.8 is the only back. There is no lay. So you can't really gauge what his uh, fair price is from the exchange other than it's possible that 7-1 looks big and 7-1 is top price. Now, is Grealish going to start tonight? So I looked up four different sources. Two said he was going to start and two said he wasn't. He was going to be on the bench. And if he's on the bench, it's a terrible price. And if he starts... At the moment, with the information that we've got, probably pushing forward as a sort of attacking midfielder, 7-1 looks like a big price against Scotland. You know, if, as well, if, if Scotland capitulate against England... The last time I watched Scotland-England, I was wearing a kilt in a pub in Selly Oak in 1996. That is when Gascoigne scored that outrageous second goal a minute after... A minute after... 
we missed a penalty. And 888 Sport, by the way, have put up a special, which is Scotland to miss a penalty and then Phil Foden to score a goal within a minute of Scotland missing a penalty at 66 to 1. Wow. Now you can get you can get 33 to 1 on Scotland to miss a penalty. And so 66 to 1 could be closer to the fair odds of just that without the Phil Foden scoring within a minute later. Phil Foden's xG tonight is around about 0.34. I make it. So in any minute he's likely to score it off the top of my head. And by the way, someone said my maths were terrible in the last Bashcast. And that's because uh, I am not stopping in editing the maths mistakes. I'm just running through them like a bulldozer. It's 34 divided by 90. 0.3. He's got his XG per minute. No, no, no. It's 0.34 divided by 90. This is the problem. So it's 0.003 goals per minute from Phil Foden. And then just say that the two are completely independent even though they're not because there would be some sort of factor that had to be taken into the fact that there was territory possession over at one side of the pitch but multiplying both together you're looking at about 23,000 to 1 on that 66 to 1 from 888 Sport uh, good bet that good bet anyway um, so I've taken Grealish tonight on the basis of two reports said he was starting two said he wasn't he could easily start trading low sevens if he starts further forward with maybe a rested um, uh, if England only go two up front because um, they went uh, three in the first game. Um, and most importantly, FOMO, because if I don't take the bet and he does start and he's trading really low and then gets the first uh, goal, I won't be able to live with it. And there's actually some equity in FOMO and it's very important to capture it. So going back, anyway, that's tonight's game against Scotland, which, uh, yeah, cancelled the uh, family camping trip so I can watch that with my boy. We're going tomorrow morning instead. So England played Austria on the 2nd of June. And up front, you've got Kane, Lingard and Saka. Now, Lingard never, even when he starts forward, he's more on the wing, sending the ball into the middle. Kane was 3.4 to score first, as he generally is um, when he is the out-and-out attacking striker. And it just felt a little bit low because Saka is the kind of player that can get himself right into the middle of the box. And he was that kind of player. And he was 13 first goal scorer. And it was dumb, in my opinion. It was dumb. So I had a look at the um, steam graphs from that day. So these are the graphs where taking any time goal scorer before team news and then a little bit after team news and seeing if anyone came in. 2nd of June, a few players came in. A lot of them are defenders because of low liquidity. You can sort of tend to ignore them. Tyrone Mings, Connor Cody, and there's um, Bukayo Saka, 12% steamer. 13 for FGS, so I took FGS. It was nil-nil at half-time, but he had so many chances, and he was right in the middle of the pitch. And even the in-play odds, Kane was like less than half the price of Saka. And yet, Saka was right at the front, getting fed the ball. Um, uh, the ball was being swung into him. It, it just He had the same amount of chances as Kane in the first half, if not maybe a couple more. 
and he was still double odds first goal scorer in play at the bookmakers. He got the first goal on the 57th uh, minute of the match. I was really quite heavily invested in him because I was just sort of rebacking and rebacking because it didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense. The market didn't... It seemed like whoever was setting the market wasn't watching the game. So I was chuffed to bits. It just felt like a good bet, that. Um, and then the next England match, which was England versus Croatia, was my next and also final success of the first goal scorer teams. If I pick up my spreadsheet here. Um, that was England versus Croatia. Sterling steamed in 8% in that match. Which is you know, fairly indicative of somebody knowing something. You've got to think. He's not a surprise start in that match, is he? Sterling. Um, there were a couple of other people that had come in. But the 8% on Sterling was really the one that stood out for me. So I went quite big on uh, Raheem at 72 and yeah, first goal scorer than that. Now, that's it now. Um, since then, that was England, England, bang, bang, 2nd of June. And a week later, we've had um, Macedonia versus Austria. Uh, Kladzic was the biggest steam there. Lena got FGS. And Netherlands versus Ukraine. Now, listen, we, we nailed them. Liverpool's we nailed them. It was always a big price. Steamed in 18%. And he got the first goal, but I wasn't on him. Um, Dumfries was a bigger steam, steam than him. Denzel Dumfries. Now, check this kid out, right? He's unbelievable. He's the right back. The bleeding right back. Well, in this game, Netherlands versus Ukraine, if you were watching it. By the way, I used to live in Dumfries. Not in Denzel Dumfries's house, but in Dumfries and Galloway in Scotland. Palmerston Park, season ticket holder of the Dunhamers. Queen of the South, who are the only team in the Bible, incidentally. Um, he's got three shots, two shots on target, one key pass. Look through the rest of the team there. Depay, one shot on target. That's the, that's the out-and-out striker. Who's next to him? Um, Wout Weghurst, two shots on target. Denzel Dumfries, two shots on target. Well, listen, this kid was... 30 to 1 FGS. Uh, sorry, 30 to 1 AGS. Can you believe that? He was 30 to 1 AGS. So I don't I don't know what he was FGS because I didn't take a record of that in that game. I did in the next game. I'll tell you that. So this is last night. This is Netherlands versus Austria. Um, yet again, he was the biggest steamer. And now Fred are second top price uh, for DDHH uh, at 20 to 1. Really? 20 to 1? I'll tell you what, if he scores twice, I'll take the 40 to 1, because it feels like he could do. So, went quite big on... Well, you can't go too big on the DDHH, because max payout limits become a factor uh, at some point. Is it 6,000? So, and that's for HH. So, you don't want to ruin the concession there of him getting a hat-trick and then getting paid out more than 6,000. But if that 20 to 1 is multiplied by 3, that's 6,000. You know what I mean? Like, you could put 100... More than £100 on it, 20 to 1, means that you're in trouble with the max payout there. Um, although it's per shop, just noting that. So you can't go super huge, but went big in that game. Uh, Netherlands-Ukraine. Sorry, it was the second match last night. 
Netherlands-Austria. 2-0 to Netherlands. Let's see how we did in terms of shots on target. Delit shot on target. Uh, Depay, obviously, shot on target. And Denzel Dumfries shot on target and gets a goal. Sadly, not the first goal of the game. Otherwise, it would have been quite big for me. Um, and again, his AGS is 12.0. And his FGS is 20 to 1 at the bookmakers. And he was the biggest steamer. Everything points towards this kid getting this kid getting underpriced by the bookmakers quite hard. Someone said he was being rested in the next game. I don't know if they were trying to be funny and they weren't being funny. Uh, Denzel Dumfries. Um, yeah, I can't see anything about it. So I think I'm going to be hitting this guy hard, right? In every game. Like FGS, AGS, because he's just being overpriced and he's a right back that is getting goals. He doesn't play as a right back, he plays as a central midfielder. But if you look at the lines up on flash scores um, and the Twitter um, team sheets, he seems to be the position of him is in the right back, but he's playing well forward of that. And I don't know why no one's picked this up so far. So, yeah. I haven't actually made any money on Dumfries yet, but I've really got my eye on him and I've been so close at big prices. So I hope Netherlands go far and he keeps getting overpriced, this Dumfries kid. Poland versus Slovakia. Linetti didn't appear on the trading. I hate it when the first goal scorer, not a penny, has been traded in between before and after graphs because then you can't do it. And then, then, then there's the boring, unlucky trilogy. So we've got... Um, um, Linetti didn't appear in the trading graph Spain, Sweden, nil, nil nothing we can do there Germany, Spain, uh, no goal scorer Oggy um, and a 1-0 which is the classic if you don't know it used, used to be bigger back in the day where you could actually get a price on NGS that was similar to nil, nil in the exchange but you can't anymore but um, uh, Oggy gets the first goal Germany versus Spain which means that nobody is the first goal scorer in that so yet again there's nothing that we can do Wales Turkey Bale was the biggest steamer had plenty of chances missed a penalty Ramsey ends up getting first goal scorer next game again I mean this this isn't all the games it's only the games I've actually been at the computer for an hour before kickoff and I can actually do these analyses and I'm not tied to it so I can't do it for every single game but we're going to get it automated Italy versus Switzerland Locatelli no trading in info on him so there you go one uh, two three four of the last five games there there was nothing we could have done because of the outcome of the game uh, or because there was no trading info Ukraine versus Macedonia Yarmolenko was a marginally negative drifter and got the first goal now that's the first game in 14 games where I've actually seen someone drift on the exchange and then get the first goal in the game. It very rarely happens. If you see someone drift, you should be avoiding them like the plague on the FGS market. But first game in 14 in my records that a drifter, Yarmolenko, and he only drifted by 2.5%. I mean, look at the previous teams we're talking about. Saka, 12%. Sterling, 8%. Wijnaldum, 18%. Yarmolenko, only a marginal drift of minus 2.5%, which really, again, it could hardly be indicative of anything. It's kind of like just the market, just market noise when it's as little as that. Oh, come on, Sweden. Why do I want Sweden to win again? What am I on? Uh, oh, I'm on them to win to nil. Oh, in two minutes, we've got Ascot as well. Bleeding hell. I better uh, wrap up the segment because I want to watch that match as well. We finished with Netherlands versus Austria last night, uh, which I talked about again to pay first goal scorer. Uh, Dumfries was the biggest team. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of going 
uh, treading water, but treading water whilst always sort of identifying the steamer in most games, going through a horrible nil-nil NGS and no trading information little period. But um, yeah, it looks like all... I don't know. I'm very comfortable with this uh, with this analysis. In terms of the game center, um, it just is what it is there. Again, it's been treading water. Just a, a few... I don't know. It's like you've got to get a combination of the value, but then the value has to win as well, obviously. Treat my, teaching my mother to suck eggs. Had a couple of them. You know, Netherlands versus UK. Netherlands to win and both teams to score. It was 3.75 on Smart at 0% account, 3.42. And that was held up by... That was held up by um, a boost that everybody was laying and then therefore making the market a little bit biased in that direction. Uh, France versus Germany, half-time score, my favourite market because it's the one that has the most amount of confidence. And in this, the half-time um, correct score, uh, I dutched nil-nil and one-nil but I ha- uh, to France, nil-nil and one-nil. But I hated it because on the first goal scorer, I was on Kroos and Gundogan. So I'm on the German goal scorers, but I'm also on France to be winning 1-0 in this match. So the perfect outcome for me is that... Um, Alexa, stop timer. The perfect outcome for me is that um, Oggy gets on the scorecard for France uh, and they go in 1-0 at half-time, or 0-0, but, and he did. Oggy, he's jumping up all over the place. And there were a load of um, your odds for the number of own goals in the tournament to be over X, Y, and Z, combined with um, cards and corners. They were all massive value. Oggy's been getting on the goal score on the score sheet all over the place, and it's good to see. Uh, I think um, the mean was 4.5, and um, William Hill just thought the mean was so much lower. Uh, and we're already... I don't know, we should count them up. Uh, I will do in a bit. But yeah, so I was still live in the second half for that France-Germany first goal scorer of Cruz and Gundogan because it was Augie 1-0 from France went in, didn't get it. Italy to win to nil as they seem to do in every match uh, against Turkey and Switzerland so far, but comfortably because of the tight back four. Uh, 2.84 was 114% EV on the exchanges. And yeah, last night, Netherlands versus Austria. Netherlands to win to nil. Again, a couple of the win to nils seem to be easy. But I haven't gone through the losers, and the losers have kind of balanced them out as well. It's been treading water, whilst very comfortably been thinking that I've been having good bets over and over and over again, and just need to hit some sort of lucky period. Listen, that alarm, Alexa, in the background, she's telling me it's 2.30pm. It's the first race of Ascot on Friday, where I didn't even know it was going to go ahead. Uh, an hour ago, so I'm going to switch over to that, see how I'm doing. We'll be back to talk a little bit of horse racing, well, for you guys, in about 10 seconds. Ah! And nothing from the 1430, nothing really to report, just the one place. Trying to do this thing at Ascot where I'm just trying to speed everything up, like efficiency, because there's so much value at Ascot, Royal Ascot, second biggest uh, horse racing festival of the year behind Cheltenham. So much value. And there was also the Euros going on um, that you could almost dutch the field in every in every single race, most races anyway, and make a profit. The problem with dutching the field is the, the amount of time and resource it takes up. It's just not something that I'm willing to give. I'm trying to get make profits whilst you know minimizing the amount of time that i'm doing anything 
So the lucky 15s, of course, are just an easy way of listing value and also have that fun sort of, you know, lottery jackpot feel to it, plus EV lottery jackpot um, bet slip. But also um, I'm trying to do sort of just one snapshot in time because you could spend all afternoon cherry picking the best EV. But is that the best thing for my time? It might be for someone else. But for me, uh, so I'm just like, take a, take a snapshot between 12 and 1 and then hit 20, 25% of the field as hard as you can. That's what I'm doing. And I'm putting them up on the site's quick picks. Uh, and they just tend to be what I'm sort of betting on as singles as well. Um, so if anyone was copying those in the 230, they probably just had the same one place loss as me. And nothing in the next because the field composition wasn't right for it. So it's uh, like an hour wait now until the 340. Um, on the first day, though, this is uh, the 15th of June. So not yesterday. Thursday, not Wednesday, the first day of Ascot on the Tuesday. Um, had some time, or at least my mate had some time, so he popped into William Hill just um, after he'd finished his afternoon work. And there were sort of three obvious horses on the Lucky 15. Um, Amtiaz, 810, uh, sorry, 610 at Ascot, 20 to 1. Proud Archie, 6.05 at Beverly, so just five minutes before that, 10 to 1. Juan Elcano, half an hour before that, 5.35 at Ascot. And then the first Ascot, the 5 o'clock Ascot, it was a coin flip. It really was. It was like, um, it was like you could easily just pick either horse because they were almost exactly the same EV. And that was either Dalton Highway or um, at 25 to 1 or Rashoon at 66 to 1. Um, sort of same EV. Sort of resumed just slightly higher, but he, he sort of said, "Well, if I've got to pick one, I'm just going to pick the one that's half the price because he'll win twice as often, therefore lowering variance and volatility." It makes sense, but really another day, go for the jackpot payout. But went for the Dalton Highway. And Dalton Highway in the first race finishes tenth, unfortunately, and it just happens to be the way sometimes Rashoon does win it at sixty-six to one. What can you do? You know, you just keep placing enough of these and these line themselves out over time. You forget about the ones that won and you were going to be on the loser. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's so much easier to remember the ones that you're not on that end up winning than the ones that you are on that end up... Yeah. Does that make sense? Anyway. But then, this half-hour period from 5.35, Juan Elcano actually wins it at, well, 22 up to Bog, 33 to 1. Proud Archie puts in a very good showing at Beverly. Uh, ends up a short head behind second place for a place finish at 10 to 1. And then uh, Amtiaz always looked good in second place in the Copper Horse Stakes Handicap at 6.10 at Ascot. Uh, and beats Dubious Affair, another 33 to 1 horse by a head. Um, so, all of a sudden, here we've got 33 to 1 winner, 33 to 1 winner, uh, a 22 to 1 place, and it's a £3 lucky 15. And that was nice enough to return. £5,089 for £4,999.03 profit. 
The only thing worth noting there for me is that we were a coin flip over which horse we were going to choose in the first. We chose Dalton Highway over Rashoon. Had we chosen Rashoon, that would have returned £271,478.49. That's the second time in a month a whisker away from a quarter of a million pounds. So you wouldn't expect that to happen very often. It's happened twice in the space of about six weeks. It happened at the beginning of um, May and now again in the middle of June. Well, hopefully they'll keep on happening uh, and one of them will end up hitting. But God damn, I'm loving these lucky 15s. <laughs> Scandinavian mixed tournament was very well posed, poised going into the, the fourth round. Caroline Headwell, Alice Houston, Reese Enoch, and Jason Scrivener all tied in first place. Two women, two men. You couldn't have asked for more than that because it's such a difficult tournament to set up. The only advantage you can really give the women is um, a, a shorter distance on the drives. Um, and then after that, it's kind of every man and woman for themselves. And the men find it just naturally easier to sw to spin the ball. Um, uh, so the fact that they managed to set it up and they had four joint leaders, two women, two men going into the last day really was fantastic. From a market and value perspective, um, Duncan and men um, thought of an edge of just blindly backing the top 20 women in the field just in case the the market makers had completely underestimated the advantage the course layout people had given to the women. Because you could easily get that wrong, and yet the top 10 in the field were all men. And it made sense to me. Didn't do it, but it was a nice, it was a nice idea. Um, going into the last day, the ladies... Fell away other than Alice Hewson, really. She she was the last woman with a shout, finished third. Jonathan Caldwell followed up uh, Richard Mansell as a sort of European tour stalwart, a journeyman who, after a number of years on the tour, has now claimed his maiden title at the age of 37 years old. He uh, beat Adrian Ottegay, who I said was the guy I didn't want to back because he lets me down week after week after week after week. <laughs> well, they nearly went into a playoff, these two guys, Jonathan Caldwell and Adrian Ottigay. Um Adrian Ottigay had a putt to win it and then had, although albeit a massive putt to win it, and then had a sort of standard putt to take it into a playoff. And we were on both players again. So it was only, how many tournaments ago when we were on both players before? One, two months ago, yeah, we were on both players in the European Tour that went to a playoff. And then fast forward a couple of months later, we're on two again if Otahey puts his, I don't know, four, four or five foot put down, something he's like 90% to get. Otahey 55 to one at bet 365 and V-bet, Jonathan Caldwell. 150 to 1 at Bet365 Poker Stars and VBet, both five places, 1 to 4 odds. So getting a quarter of the odds on the place is nice there. 
uh, but after he he missed the five footer, sort of leaving well leaving Jonathan Coldwell as the winner. I mean, um, Alice Houston had to sort of sink a uh, a shot from seventy yards away in the fairway to take that to a playoff, but she couldn't do that. So yeah, um, great being on both of them. Again, that's the twenty third winner in just over two years on the golf and sort of shoots us up from an initial starting bankroll of £1,000 to £7,281. I was just having a look at this, the the, um, the 23 odd winners that we've had um, in two and a half years. So if you, well, it's about 2.1 years, so maybe 15, 16, 15 months, uh, 24, 25 months, 22 winners. So just short of one winner a month on average and it'll be nice when the double comes in when the same winner comes in on the same week on the weekend and you know and both tours and then we hit the double that'll be excellent that'll happen one day in terms of magnitude of odds on the exchange the largest priced winner was martin laird shriners hospital for children 2020 who was 275 to one um Jonathan Coldwell is next after that. We've had a couple of 125 to ones. Mark Warren and Stuart Sink in the Austrian Open and the RBC Heritage were both 125 to one. But 150 to one is the second highest odds. And nice purple EV, meaning we're maxing out the stakes there as well, which is always fun. Betting everybody on to win only on the exchange. Um, at the same stakes we've been advising on the bookie bashing tracking started at zero the, the lowest drawdown would have been £500 down uh, and at the moment at uh, £3,784 profit not bad that's an ROI over 1,235 bets of something. I had it somewhere. Let's bring it up here. 40-odd um, percent. Just betting on the exchange only. That's quite lucky. That's running hot, right? 1,275 bets. It would be £8,386.26 staked. For on the win only for three thousand seven hundred and forty-five pounds and seventy-four pence profit, forty-four point six seven percent ROI. Now we're at roughly the ninety-sixth percentile. Very lucky on those. But just in terms of the places, there's nothing lucky about turning the one thousand into. The, yeah, the only reason you would make money on the exchange is if the theory around smart money is um, valid. And it is, kind of. I think um, Ben Coley tipped Jonathan Caldwell and his price started coming down in the exchanges. why he rose up in EV on the tracker. And so you get all that smart information coming in. Uh, and as long as that's valid, then that's the reason to bet on the exchange. I do it because of that reason. Uh, a little bit of experimental and also because betting on the exchange is so easy compared to betting on bookmakers with restrictions and getting around those and everything like that. But um, definitely running hot. In terms of just betting at the bookmakers, 
1,200, the same number of bets, 1,275 bets, 141% are uh, EV on average in those 1,275 bets. ROI just now is 38.2%. That's sitting at the 51st percentile, right in the middle. So, you know, it sounds extraordinary turning £1,000 into £7,281. But we're actually, that's exactly what we would have expected to have happened half of the time sitting at the 51st percentile. So there's nothing extraordinary about it. So you could sort of argue, well, you know, Tom, you've been betting on the exchange, you got lucky. Yeah, I have got lucky. I make my own luck, though. You know what I mean? I've been unlucky some other places. I make my own luck. I was unlucky in the uh, the 1540, hoping for a little bit more luck in the 1620 in 15 minutes. But, you know, we have the US Open this week had highlighted... Bryson, Joaquin Neiman. I wanted Garrick Higo, but he wasn't value at the bookmakers. He wasn't plus EV. How did they do in round one? I haven't been following. Round one got delayed. Garrick Higo was up. Oh, well, lots of people found it difficult. He's six over. Garrick Higo in 126th place. This was a graph that was um, put together of off the tee, driving distance and GIR. And actually on, the, on day one, the person with most strokes gained off the tee was Mr. Gary Woodland. And he's sitting in 79th position. So sometimes there's metric graphs aren't everything. Uh, Ab uh, Abraham Answer was the most strokes gained approach. He's in 61st. Taylor Montgomery, playing out of his skin, is in the 11th position. Uh, for putting and off the tee, Matsy Yama's in fifth position. So our strokes gained off the tee seems to be the one metric that is coming through. My highest guy just now is uh, Rob McIntyre. Was it the Masters? Was it Augusta when he left? And he was saying, yes, sir. He was playing it in his car and he was driving through uh, Augusta Car Park with all the stewards in green uh, jackets and he was just filming out of his um, windscreen. It's on Twitter. You can go and have a look at it if you can find it. He's just playing, yes, sir. I can boogie. All night long for his top uh, 10 position over in the Masters. So, yeah, there's an element of, yeah, we got lucky. Uh, lucky betting on the exchange, or I got lucky betting on the exchange, if you haven't been. But um, there's no luck involved in the 1,200 bets sitting right in the 50th percentile from the bookmakers with those concessionary terms that they're offering. 10 to 11 places in... Um, the US Open, yet again in the majors. The majors is turning into an event where you can just walk in and pretty much bet on your favourite player and you will be unlucky at top price anyway, or at 11 places, 10 places, 9 places. You'll be unlucky for him not to be plus EV. It's almost like don't put too much thought into it. And if you don't win, you don't win. Actually, that's the one thing. I've had a sort of horrendous, not horrendous because the sample size is so low, but uh, I've definitely had... All majors have been losing tournaments for me, despite the fact that we're getting these 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 places on them. And then these tournaments that I'm getting five places on, we're getting the winner. But that's just the way that the luck of the dice runs in these things. So anyway, US Open this week went for... Uh, I hated it. I really did. I hated it. I hated what I went for in the US Open this week. Uh, amongst others, Hoffman, 
overs there, Cockrack overs there, week after week, Neiman, Value Cup, Paul Casey, 40 to 1, playing well. But the one guy who has eaten up all the stakes, well, Tony Finau, 28 to 1, but mostly Bryson DeShampoo at 18 to 1. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because he's just been very inconsistent uh, with his short game. And the rough at Tory Pines is going to eat him up. He's going to try and sort of take away all the length of the course. He won it last time round, but he's not the same player as he was last time round. He's very inconsistent. He's always very short in the field. Uh, I'm always happy when I'm not on him, and I'm always happy to see him not doing very well. But he was the highest EV at 116%, lowest price golfer under 20 to 1. And I have to go with the maths. I'm not allowed to override the maths with personal opinion on this. Uh, the graph suggested his statistics were there. You know, strokes, uh, ob obviously driving distance and um, strokes gained off the tee. I mean, his stats are there. The EV suggested the he was value. The smart money's obviously come in enough for him because those similarly priced around him weren't as high. And so it's a case of, well, everything says I've got to do it. Um, I'm not going to override the mathematics and the models, but I hate it. I really want to take him out and add in a couple of different ones or possibly Xander Schaufele. Anyway, Bryson's up at 74th at the end of round one, three over. At the moment, he's probably right on the cut line, right on the cut line as we speak. So uh, we will see if he makes it. I hated it when I picked him and then I picked him and now I hate it. The other short guy, well, shortish guy, the two shortest guys, Tony Finau and Bryson DeChambeau, might not make the cut. Paul Casey doing very well. Bob McIntyre doing very well. And Kevin Streelman, all the evens. But evens around Tory Pines seems to be like a decent score. Something that can set you up anyway. So, yeah, US Open. We'll see, uh, we'll see how we get on on Sunday night, won't we? <laughs> Twenty-five years later, after I was sat in that pub, surrounded by Englishmen, watching that penalty by McAllister get saved, and then Gaza go up the pitch and score that goal, 
it is time for revenge. Yes, sir. I can boogie.